Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Fussman. Holiday season's coming, and every time it approaches, I think of the memorable O. Henry story, The Gift of the Magi. I must have read it when I was in third grade or something. It's so simple, but it endures, which is the definition of a great story. It's about a young married couple living more than a century ago in a furnished room that rents for eight bucks a week. Della, the young wife, has scrimped and saved every penny she possibly could to buy a Christmas present for her husband, Jim. But she's only got a dollar and 87 cents. And it's the day before Christmas. Even back then, a buck 87 didn't get you very much. And Della is in tears. Now, she may not have much money, but the one thing Della does have is beautiful hair. It falls beneath her knees. It's almost like a majestic garment wrapped around her. And after Dell dries her tears, she has an idea. She goes out into the streets and stops by a store that has a sign on it that says, hair articles of all kinds. Dell enters and has most of her hair cut off. Sells it for 20 bucks. Now she's got cash for her husband's present and she goes Christmas shopping. She's so happy. And quickly she finds the perfect gift for him, a pure gold watch chain. Why is it so perfect? Jim doesn't have much in this world. But the one thing Jim does have is a beautiful gold timepiece. It's been passed on from his father and his father's father. It's Jim's pride and joy. But this magnificent timepiece is generally attached to an old leather strap that Jim used in place of a chain. Della finds the perfect gold chain that will allow Jim to wear the timepiece on his vest. Cost 21 bucks. She's still got 87 cents left. She rushes home to cook dinner for Jim. Jim comes home, looks at Della, and he's stunned. Della is gripped with fear. Has she cut away her beauty in Jim's eyes? It'll grow back, she promises. It'll grow back. Jim puts a gift for her on the table. She unwraps it to find beautiful bejeweled combs and brushes that she always longed for, but were so far out of the couple's price range that she didn't dare think of ever owning them. Della explains that she cut her hair off to get Jim his Christmas gift, and she takes out the regal gold band for his timepiece. Jim is silent. Then he tells her, He sold his timepiece for 20 bucks to buy the combs and brushes. (laughs) Of course, the point of the story is that it's the intention behind the giving that's really important. And I think you'll see that play out in this week's podcast. This week's podcast is a story about a gift. And that gift is a piano that became a very special piano. But before we get to it, I may have some gifts for you, which leads me to another story. 
So, a few months back, I'm speaking at a conference in Austin, Texas called Conscious Capitalism. It consists of a group of businesses that look at their companies through a sense of purpose as opposed to only the bottom line. Day before I speak, I meet a guy named Matt. It's serendipitous because Matt is a member of EO, the Entrepreneurs' Organization. This is a group of entrepreneurs that has roughly 160 chapters around the world. I've spoken at a bunch of them, New York, Houston, LA, as far off as Nairobi. And one of my goals is to speak at every EO chapter around the world. So Matt lives in Phoenix. He's a member of EO and he knows about me. He says he can help me connect with the Phoenix chapter of EO so that I can speak there. Great. Conversation lasts for a while. We say goodbye. Conference gets going. I speak, get a great response. And afterward, I'm directed over to an area filled with gifts. Many of the companies involved in the conference have provided them to showcase what they do. Go ahead, I'm told. Choose whatever you like. Sounds good. I see some clothing packaged in plastic. Don't quite know what it is. And I pull off one of the packages from the shelf to open it up. It's a hoodie. Okay, I try it on. And it's like this feeling comes over me. Hoys! This is the softest hoodie I have ever felt. Just then, Matt from Phoenix comes over. Matt, I say, you gotta try on one of these hoodies. They're amazing. Matt looks at me oddly. Doesn't say anything. I'm telling you, Matt, this hoodie has the softest fabric you can imagine. Fits like a second skin. Callie says, really, I say. You gotta try it on to understand what I'm talking about. Cal, what are you, a medium? Let me pick one out for you. I reach for one, and Matt stops me. Callie says, it's my company that makes the hoodies. <laughs> and that was the start of a beautiful friendship. Company is named Sportique. The sport comes from the fact that the company's clothing is linked to many of the sports teams that we're all familiar with. Many of those teams have their branded logo over Sportique threads. And the teak comes from boutique because Sportique is a boutique company. You can go to sportique.com and buy the threads without any logos in their purest form. But here's the thing. When you go to sportique.com, make sure you spell it right. You got to spell it without the U. That's what makes it unique. There's no U after the Q. It's spelled S-P-O-R-T-I-Q-E. They got hoodies, comfy tees, sweatpants. I'm telling you, Kevin the manager got a pair of these sweatpants and he sleeps in them. You can't get the guy out of them. Now, if you think this is just me talking, listen to this next story. This is a professional hockey player. Maybe I'll be able to have him come on and tell the story down the road so you can hear it in his voice. But here's the abbreviated version. This player's wife is pregnant. The time has come. They're in the car on the way to the hospital. 
And the player says, oh, we got to go back home. Why, his wife asks, because I need to be wearing my comfy tee when the baby is born. The player wanted to be wearing the Sportique comfy tee the first time he held his child so that it would be the first feeling his child would ever know next to dad. I'm telling you, when you put on these threads, you're in a different zone. So here's what I'm going to do. This podcast is called Big Questions. I'm going to ask you a question. It's the question that I often give people when they ask me for a conversational icebreaker. And that question is this. Why is your best friend your best friend? A question like that will take a conversation to a deep place very quickly. It makes everybody happy to think about why they're grateful to have their best friend. And who knows where your answer to that question will lead today. If you answer the question and send your response to calfussman.com, I'm going to read it. And I'm going to choose some of the very best answers. And if your answer is chosen, I will email you back and ask for the size and address of your best friend and then send your best friend a Sportique hoodie. Guarantee you, your best friends would be very happy in their new threads. And not only that, but we have no idea where your thoughtfulness is going to take us all. Remember I referenced a story about a piano earlier? Well, wait until you hear it. You're going to fully understand the exponential power of a great gift and where it can lead. It's a story told by a guy named Lee Newman about his grandfather, the songwriter, Jimmy McHugh. Maybe you might recognize Jimmy's famous songs. The one you're about to hear was composed more than 90 years ago and it became America's anthem during some really rough times. Here, it's performed by two friends, Lee and his pal, the musician Dave Damiani. After you hear the song, Lee will tell you the story behind the piano, and Dave will tell you what their friendship means to him. So let's get straight to this week's episode and the power in a gift. Lee, You've got a hundred-year-old upright piano in the next room. That's pretty special. Why? Well, the story behind that piano is uh, my grandfather was Jimmy McHugh, the songwriter. And in the 20s, he had had some big hits that he'd written for the Cotton Club, including When My Sugar Walks Down the Street, and I Can't Believe That You're In Love With Me. He had some major success, and then the stock market crash happened, And he lost everything in the Great Depression. Everything? Everything. Wiped out, had to move to a much smaller apartment, five-floor walk-up, straw bed. He's sleeping on straw. He's sleeping on straw. He's gone from the top of the world to sleeping on straw. Exactly. When I say everything, his piano, which was his main tool, can you imagine? He had to sell his piano. He's a songwriter without a piano now. So it looked uh, pretty dismal. Yeah, because he he can't even work. 
couldn't work, couldn't couldn't write because he had to sell. It got that bad that he had to sell his piano. And um, he, he was totally wiped out, and he was walking on Riverside Drive one day, and he bumps into his friend, George Gershwin. Great American composer. Great songwriter. And he said to McHugh, he said, how are things going? And McHugh said, not too well. He says, I haven't got a quarter in my pocket. And Gershwin said, well, that shouldn't happen to you. Is there anything I can do to help? And McHugh said, well, yeah, if you happen to have a piano lying around, I could Extra use piano. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it, the next week, Gershwin sent him that gray, upright piano, which you've seen. And the first song he wrote on that piano, McHugh wrote, was On the Sunny Side of the Street. Which is alive to this day. Which is alive and well today. And subsequently, he also wrote on In the Mood for Love, which was a big hit for Alfalfa and the Little Rascals. Well, let's just talk a little uh, first about Sunny Side of the Street. How did that come about? When you're in New York City, and I didn't realize this until I had gone there, one side of the street is always sunny and the other one isn't, and that's due to the buildings. And after he'd been given the piano by Gershwin, he went out on the streets and immediately was inspired by what he saw. And one side of the street was sunny, and he wrote on the sunny side of the street. And so this became like an anthem during the Depression. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is the first song he wrote on that piano. That's right. And it basically lifted him it off the straw mattress back on his feet. It changed everything. Subsequently, he also wrote I'm in the Mood for Love on it, exactly like you. And then another war anthem in the 40s, World War II, coming in on a wing and a prayer, which was a huge hit for um, Bing Crosby. So now he's turning out these national anthems. Everything is going well. And he moves to Hollywood, right? Moves to Hollywood. He starts writing for the movie musicals. And um, he, in fact, he wrote the songs for Frank Sinatra's first movie, Higher and Higher. And on that piano, he wrote, I Couldn't Sleep a Wink Last Night, A Lovely Way to Spend an Evening. Same piano. Same piano. Did he consider it those keys lucky? Yes. Oh, absolutely. And that's why I cherished it all those years. Did you grow up looking at that piano? I did. Thinking... That's the lucky piano. Well, I was five at the time, so I, I, I just really remember the girls that he was auditioning on that piano. <laughs> and then he passed away after a Then five. he passed away. But I must say, and I think this is an interesting point, and my buddy Dave Damiani, the singers, pointed this out too. He wrote a lot of hits on that piano, and one of the greatest compliments he ever got was from the Queen of England, after he gave a royal command performance, she came up to him and said, Mr. McHugh, you seem to have written all of my favorite songs. They were on that piano. And the piano was passed on to you, and you're seeing it just about every day. Does it give off a feeling to you when you touch the keys or you pass by it? Yeah. Yeah, I get that feeling every time I look at that piano. And then also, too, it's great to have people come and play it, like Dave Damiani. When he sits down, he plays on the sunny side of the street on that piano that George Gershwin gave him, and that was the first song he wrote. It's it's like magic. 
Do you feel like you're passing on the gift? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Because it's, it's yes. Good luck is coming to anybody totally. who touches those right. keys. What is, it, what is it about a great gift that makes it live on? Mm. Well, that, that piano and, and that song has brought a lot of joy <laughs> to a lot of people. And uh, I think And so been... when Dave comes by and plays on it, he's now taking the gift exactly. and spreading it in and his own way. And then he's spreading the word and he's introducing it to people and it goes on and on and on. Sounds like a song. <laughs> I'm going to ask Dave about this. Dave, is there an everlasting lesson that comes to you through that keyboard? Absolutely. Um, and I'll tell you, it's a, it's, a, it's a lesson of friendship. It's a lesson of love. Um, I don't know if Lee even knows this, but the last 14 months of my life have been very difficult. I just got divorced. I'm getting divorced, split up from my wife. And something told him, he's been coming to all of our shows and he's been a great supporter of, of our music and all that being said, it's, it's amazing to have a friend like that. But I don't think he's realized... The, my mental state, and he's taken me to lunch, and we've talked, and we've met once a week or a couple times a week, and he's just been checking up on me like a friend, like somebody who really just cares about somebody. And in the course of all this, I've been spending a lot of time with my daughter. And she uh, came to the recording studio last year, and we were recording on the sunny side of the street, and we were comping it together, and she had spent the whole day with me. And she was interested in the recording process and technology. And she just looked over and she goes, Dad, I think I can, I think I can do this one. And I said, do what? She goes, I think I could sing this song all the way through. So we set up a little stool. She sat up next to the mic. We shared a microphone. We did one take. And she sang the song with me per almost perfectly all the way through. And we posted it on YouTube. It's a little thing. I'm going to send you the link. But basically, that song, it's what I've now, I guess, call my trade as a musician. I was able to pass that along to my daughter. I was able to 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 do that with her, teach her a song that she's going to be able to sing for the rest of her life that people are always going to know, to be connected to a guy like Lee and his family. You know, people ask people sometimes, what can I do? I can't do much for anybody. I'm not in a position to help anybody. I'm not a, you are in a position to help. You spend some time, call your mother, call your friend, see how they're doing, take them to lunch. You don't understand sometimes what people are going through. And this song of optimism and this uplifting uh, message of on the sunny side of the street uh, will last forever. And it's because of a gift, like what George Gershwin gave Jimmy McHugh, like what Lee has given me, like what I'm, you know, hoping to pass on to whomever. But most importantly, my family, his family helped my family. And I think it's a beautiful thing. You know what? Let's hear a little piano with that music. All right, let's do it. Sweet on the sunny 
side of the street I used to walk in the shade With those blues on parade I'm not afraid Because the rover crossed over That about wraps it up. Want to thank Dave Damiani and Lee Newman for that rendition of On the Sunny Side of the Street. When they inserted my name, they were supposed to say, If I never had a cent, I'd be rich as Rockefeller. You don't want to hear me sing, but it's supposed to be rich as Rockefeller. I can assure you, I ain't as rich as Rockefeller. But that was one of the enduring elements to this song. Many great artists performed it over the years, including Louis Armstrong, Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, Billie Holiday, Willie Nelson, Diana Krall, Dizzy Gillespie, Rod Stewart. Quite often, to have some fun, the performers inserted other names in place of Rockefeller, and Dave Damiani and Lee Newman now add to the list by throwing the likes of me into the lyrics. Anyone interested in hiring Dave and his orchestra can go to davedamiani.com. That's Dave, D-A-M-I-A-N-I.com. Find him there. If you're near Atlantic City, you can see Dave and his No Vacancy Orchestra at the Ocean Resort Casino on December 28th. Dave has hosted his own hour on Sirius XM, Seriously Sinatra. And though he's based in L.A., he and his No Vacancy Orchestra are booked everywhere. So check him out at DaveDamiani.com. And if you're interested in the work of Jimmy McHugh, go to JimmyMcHughMusic.com and you can reach Lee Newman there. That's Jimmy McHugh, M-little-c, capital H-U-G-H, music.com. Moving on, I want to thank Tim Ferriss for insisting that I start this podcast. When he did, he could never have imagined that I'd be sending out hoodies to the best friends of listeners. But when he does hear about this, I'm sure it's going to make him happy. In fact, Tim is going to get the first hoodie. I've got a few more to send out to your friends, so answer the question, why is your best friend your best friend? And send your answer to calfussman.com. If your friend is chosen, we'll get back to you and send your friend a hoodie. We'll see where all this goes. Whatever happens, let your best friend know why they're your best friend. It's that time of year, and you never know how the smallest act of reaching out towards someone can make a difference. Make a difference. Cheers.